Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person that is here. I thank you that you are a God who is not silent, but you speak to us through your word, through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So speak to us uh, this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. In our gospel reading from John chapter 1, we see some of John the Baptist's disciples becoming followers of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist's role, he plays a very important role in the history of salvation. His role was to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah and then to point people to the Messiah when he had arrived. And that's what we see him doing here in this passage, throughout this passage. And so two of John's disciples began to follow Jesus. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, that is John, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus asked them a question. What are you seeking? You could translate that, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus isn't being testy here. He, he is asking a, a penetrating question that is designed to get them to, to, to clarify why, in fact, they are following him. He wants to hear that from them. He wants to hear them articulate the reason why they're following him. What are you seeking? And that's a good question that we can ask ourselves right now at this season in our life. What do you want? What do you seek in your heart of hearts? You see, there's a connection between who we follow and what we want. Think about it. Someone who wants to be healthy follows the doctor's orders. Someone who wants to be successful in business follows somebody who's been successful in business. This week I had lunch with a man who's raised uh, four children, and his children are doing quite well. He has a good relationship with them. They've stayed in the faith. And so I asked him, as a father of five, for any advice that I could follow. I'm always willing to listen to advice from parents that have uh, traveled farther down the path than I have. There's a connection between who we follow and what we desire. What are you seeking? These new followers of Jesus don't answer his question directly, do they? It's almost like they're caught off guard when he asks them this. And they say to him, verse 38, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And then Jesus says, come and you will see. He, he doesn't give them the address and say, I'll see you later. If you want to come by, I'll meet you later. But he invites them right then to begin a relationship with him. That's what it really means to follow Jesus, is to be with him. So he says, if you want to know what I'm about, why don't you come and follow me? And come and see. And so that's what they did. And the longer we're in relationship with Jesus, the more we understand who he is. And that's what's beginning to happen here in these first disciples. 
They're beginning to get an understanding of who Jesus is. And so I want to look at this passage because this passage is rich with descriptions of who Jesus is and, and what He came to do. And let's ask ourselves this question. The question, again, that Jesus is asking, what are you seeking in your life? Do you want Jesus? Do you want what Jesus has to offer for your life today? Jesus is called here the Lamb of God. Two times John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Jews, of course, offered lambs and other animals as sacrifices for their sin. But here John the Baptist is saying something rather shocking. He's saying that this person is the Lamb of God. This person is the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And not only that, but we're not offering the sacrifice anymore. God is providing the sacrifice for our sin. What's so unique about the Christian gospel is that God Himself provides the sacrifice so that we can be reconciled to Him. He initiates that. Other religions say that you have to offer your own sacrifice or you have to offer your good works. But here God in the person of His Son Jesus Christ is offering the sacrifice of sin so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be in right relationship with Him. And that's what happened at the cross, isn't it? On the cross, Jesus paid the sacrifice for our sins. We're the guilty ones. We rebelled against Him. But out of love for us, because He wants a relationship with us, He pays the sacrifice, removes the barrier of sin. Some people ask this question. Have you ever wondered this? How does the suffering of Christ, how does the sacrifice of this lamb on a few hours on the cross pay for the sins of the whole world? How does that work? Well, we'll never be able to really plumb the depths of the mystery of the cross. We can't probably answer this question. We surely can't answer this question with 100% satisfaction. But let me just uh, quote something from a theologian named Michael Green that I think is helpful on this. The, the question is, how can the death of Jesus on the cross, hanging there for a couple of hours, cover the sins of the whole world? That's the claim. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Listen to what Michael Green says. The key is the person of the sufferer. Christ is qualitatively different from the whole mass of humankind. And then he gives an illustration of this idea of qualitative difference. He says, we will be more distressed by the pain of a child for an hour than by the death of hundreds of thousands of mice. Why? Because we know that they are qualitatively different. There's a great difference between a mouse and a child. And so it is with Jesus. He's qualitatively different from us. He is fully human, yes, but He's also fully divine. He's the Son of God. And He's tasting death for every man on the cross. So His sacrifice can cover the sins of the whole world. And cover our sin. Cover your sin. Cover my sin. So what do you want this morning? Do you come here this morning with a sense of your own guilt before God? Your own inadequacy? That you haven't measured up. Maybe things that you've done in the past and you bear the burden of that guilt. Maybe the way that you've treated people. 
Maybe choices that you've made. Maybe things right now that are in your life that you know are not right. Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to have your sins washed? Do you want peace with God? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow Him, the one who has bore away our sin. So He's the Lamb of God. He, he's the one, He's described here as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist baptized with water. But he says in verse 33 that God told him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit brings us the power and presence of the living God. The Holy Spirit makes God come alive to us. And through the work of Jesus, Jesus plunges us, baptizes us into the presence and power of the living God. So that we can know the love of God in an experiential way, not just intellectually, but we can know the embrace of a loving father. God is no longer just distant. God is no longer just the man upstairs, but through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God becomes a living reality, his love, his presence and his power is available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of us here? I certainly do want to know God's love and His presence and His power in a real and direct way in my life. More and more I want to grow in that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 5 that God has poured His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that through the work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 15 we can cry out to God, the creator of the universe, as our Abba Father, which is a term of intimacy and love. We can know God that way through the work of the Holy Spirit. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, preaching in London in um, the mid-20th century, somewhere around that time frame, 60s, 70s, he described the work of the Holy Spirit this way, this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit this way. He said, imagine a father and a son walking down a sidewalk together. I think I've used this before. I love this illustration. And uh, they're talking, they're enjoying one another's company. But then at some point, the father stops and he, and he looks at his son and he picks him up and he hugs him and he just whispers in his ears, do you know how much I love you? And gives him a kiss and puts him down. And Lloyd-Jones says, of course, the son knew that his father loved him before that. But with that hug, with that kiss, with that embrace, with those words spoken directly to him, he has a new assurance, a new experience of his father's love. And this is what the work of the Holy Spirit can do in our life. It is God's, through the work of the Spirit, God lovingly embraces us and he expresses his love to our hearts and makes us know that love in an experiential way. That doesn't happen apart from the work of Christ. Christ is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Are you hungry to know more of God's love? More of God's power and presence? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we can come to God and we can say, Lord, through the work of Jesus, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. 
As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit, but it's like I think D.L. Moody said, sometimes we leak. We need to be refilled, refreshed in the work of the Holy Spirit. And so just take time this week in prayer. Lord, refresh me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me afresh. Renew me in the power and presence of God. I need to know the love of God intimately. He's the Lamb of God. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And then I want to just touch on two other terms very briefly here. These terms speak to the uniqueness of Jesus, the uniqueness of His origins, His divine authority. He's in a class by Himself. No other religious leader can dare even claim, and they didn't claim the things that are claimed here about Jesus Christ. The terms are this. He's the Son of God, and He is the Messiah. John says in verse 34, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. There is only one Son of God. In the fullest sense of the term, there's only one Son of God. Through the work of Jesus, we're adopted into His family. We can become adopted children of God, sons and daughters. But there's only one Son of God who is fully divine, who shares fully the life of God. And because He is the Son of God, He reveals the nature of God to us. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says, if you want to know the Father, if you want to see the Father, look to Me. And throughout the New Testament, it's just crystal clear that the writers, the apostles, those who knew Jesus, say to people, if you long for God, if you want to know God, look to Jesus. The Father expresses the Son. In fact, that's what uh, the author of Hebrews says at the beginning of his letter. He says this, Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to his people. He's always been speaking to his people, but that was through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us, listen, by his son. He is the radiance, verse 3, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of of his power. The Son is the imprint, the exact imprint. He reflects the nature of God. So many people today are saying, I'm searching for God, I'm looking for God. And other people say, You can find God wherever you want, find Him within yourself, find Him in other religions, find Him in nature. But the New Testament witnesses this if you want to see God, Look to the Son. Look to the Son. It's there. The revelation is there. Come in humility and learn about Christ and you will know about the nature and character of God. He's the Son of God and then He's referred to here as the Messiah. And there's only one true Messiah. And that's what Andrew said to Simon Peter. If we had time to talk about this exchange, it's really interesting. We don't have time this morning, but how Andrew brought his brother, Peter, to Jesus. After spending time with Jesus, he realized this is the Messiah. We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, the chosen one, the appointed one. That is Christ. So let me ask you again. What are you seeking in your life right now? As I've wrestled with this text, lived with this text this week, I've had to ask myself that question. What, what do I really want at the core of who you are, Ben Wagner? What do you desire right now, this season of your life? 
And how does that correspond with what Christ has come to give us? That's the question. Some people seek more influence and power in a greater platform. So some people seek more money, not, not to just support their family or to bless other people, but just to have more money, to feel more powerful. How much is enough? What are you seeking? Some people seek sensual pleasure. Some people seek just to be distracted and numbed by alcohol and drugs. Some people want to be desperately recognized and admired by other people. These are the kinds of things that pull at all of us. They pull at me. This is the battle that we're in. And then Jesus comes and says, I've offered another way to live. True life. That satisfies. Boris Becker, the great tennis champion, said this. I won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player in history to ever win Wimbledon. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed, but I had no inner peace. Sophia Loren, the great actress, said this in a famous interview. I have everything in life, but in my life there's an emptiness that is impossible to fulfill. Why? Because God has designed us to desire Him, to find our satisfaction in Him, to find our wholeness in Him. We'll never be satisfied until we come to Him. So Jesus says, if you want to know God, if you want to have a right relationship with Him, if you want to be clean and pure in His presence, if you want to know Him intimately through the work of the Holy Spirit, if you want to know God, come and follow me. Amen.